talk about Jesus' calling. He is calling to each one of us, and what he's calling is the same thing that he called then, is follow me. Jesus is calling, follow me. Luke chapter 5, verse number 27 it says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax, co tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to, the, to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a number of different things that I want to focus on in this passage here tonight. And the short little exhortations, I guess, kind of dissecting this. The first one is the call. The call. The word follow, which, which Jesus said in verse 27, follow me. The word follow means to pursue, to go after or behind, to walk, ride, or move behind, but in the same direction, to be led or guided by. How many has ever followed somebody in a vehicle? How many has ever led somebody following you in a vehicle? How many has ever followed somebody that didn't know how to lead somebody following them in a vehicle? And how many has ever followed somebody that didn't know how to lead, that didn't know how to find the person that was leading them? They, you know... When that happens, um, you know, there's you have to watch for the person behind you. If you're the leader, you have to watch and make sure. Did they get stuck at a light? Are you going to have to watch for them and wait for them a little longer? Is it just like, well, just strap on your seatbelt, hang on, and follow me. And then you got them, like, breaking all these rules, just trying to catch up to you. And, and if you expect me to follow you, you better not speed because I won't go over the speed limit to catch you. So, I mean, just those little things like that. Um, I mean, it's not like a, it's not like you get on a, uh, you know, you're at the amusement park and you got to buckle in and hold on and, and, and off, you know, zero to 60. And, but you know what I'm saying is that there's an expectation that there is going to be somebody there that you're going to be able to recognize that, yes, I see them. And, I, and there's somebody back there, there's somebody who's leading saying, I'm going to make sure that they can see me so they can follow me. So realize that we're in the same direction. If ever the person following turns in a different direction, they're not following anymore. They're going in a different direction. But Jesus called, and the call was, follow me. I believe that Jesus is still calling out to each and every one of us to follow him to go after him, to walk as he walks, to walk in the same direction that he is walking, to keep him in our sights. God has a specific plan for you and for me, and we'll really only realize what that plan is if we follow him. If we follow something else, we're never going to get to where the plan of God is. 
Then there's the sacrifice. In verse 28, Matthew, Levi, or Matthew, uh, left everything. And the word everything is all that exists, all that's relevant. Nothing was more important than Jesus. Nothing was more important than Jesus. How many know that following Jesus isn't easy? It requires sacrifice. Now, some people don't like sacrifice. Sacrifice usually, sacrifice usually means I got to give up something. And in our selfish culture today, nobody wants to give anything up. I want it my way, I want it this way, and I don't want to make any changes for anybody. Why do you suppose marriages break up? Because of selfish people and people who aren't connected with God the way they should be. I heard a, uh, a, a, a minister several years ago named Ken McGee that preached a phenomenal series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And he made this statement. I've never forgotten it. This was back in the 90s. And he said this. He said, he said two people who are full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit, will never divorce. Because if they're full of the Holy Spirit, they have God's mind and God's intentions and His outlook on things. And it just won't happen. And that's true. Because when we place God's interest above our own, then we're really looking. We're really looking to Him and not self. So it requires sacrifice. We must leave everything and trust Him in order to follow Him so that it's evident that nothing in our lives is more important than Jesus. If somebody were to look at our lives and say, just on the outside, maybe they don't know you very well, but they get to know you and they think, hmm, the most important thing in this person's life is whatever, fill in the blank. Because I've listened to them talk, I've watched what they did, and their words and their actions say that this is the most important thing to them. Now, for a lot of people today, it's technology. Because people are addicted to technology. Um, and there are different points in, in culture, in, in generations, where it was different things other than that. This is where we are now and probably have been for the past 10 years or 15 years at least. But there's different kinds of technology. People were addicted to technology many years ago, but it was a different kind of technology. Um, we just bought a, a new car, not for us. It's new to us, but it's a 20-something, 23-year-old car, 20, 22-year-old car, and has a cassette player in it. <laughs> I haven't had a car with a cassette player in a long time, and I dug out some old tapes to see if they would work. And when we went to Branson last week, I was plugging in cassette tapes, one right after the other, to listen to this. But man, I haven't heard this in years. Well, it's because the technology wasn't there. The technology's not bad. It's just different now. But it requires a sacrifice. Cutting out everything that's more important than Jesus. Then there's the celebration in verse 29. Levi held a great banquet. 
This was a time to celebrate and a time to tell everybody about Jesus. So celebrate. Telling everybody about Jesus. Why is it a celebration? Well, think for a moment. Is it, a, is it something to be celebrating? Would you turn your life over to Jesus Christ and he makes a profound difference in your life? I mean, he changes us from the inside out all the way to the deepest part of our soul. And it is a profound change. And it's a change for the better. It's a change from death to life. It's a change from, uh, from hopelessness to hope. It's a change from sorrow to joy. It's a change from all of these negative things that have been in our lives to something that is good and something that is God. Godly, and it is something to be celebrated. When we follow Jesus, we should celebrate. We should enjoy sharing the good news. Even after we've walked with the Lord for a while, sharing the news about Jesus Christ should not ever grow old. It shouldn't ever grow old. We should still have the passion at whatever stage in our relationship with the Lord to want to tell others about Jesus. And to celebrate because we can celebrate what he's done in our life, our lives, and we can show others that when he does something powerful in your life, there's a cause for celebration as well. Then there's the ministry. Also in verse 29, this, this changed Matthew's life and would it would minister. Ministry is to those in your world or your sphere of influence. Now, Matthew's sphere of influence was different than probably most. He would minister to other tax collectors and sinners. I mean, that was the realm that he operated in. The area of influence. When we make a decision to answer Jesus' call to follow me, we will touch others' lives that are around us, that, that we, can, we can impact them. They will see the change in us. They will see Jesus in us because there's like, okay, maybe they're going to say, you're freaking me out because you're making some changes that I never thought you'd make. Well, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are some things that just aren't as important anymore. And he becomes the most important thing. They see Jesus. We likely don't even realize everyone who's in our sphere of influence. Do you know that there are people that look at your life even from a distance? They look at your life and they see you. And they may not ever discuss it, but they see how you react under pressure. They see how you handle yourself. They hear the words that you use. And they know that there is a true character in your life named Jesus. They may not know it's Jesus, but they know it's something. That there is something different about you. And they should think there's something different about you because when we walk with Jesus, when we follow Jesus, it means that his character shines through everything else that we do and should be the primary thing that people see. So... We're going to influence people who are, are, who are in our realm of influence. Not just now, but there are future people that we don't even know. I want you to think about this just for a moment. If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, 20 years ago, you had a sphere of influence of people, 
And today, your sphere of influence is probably different because you know different people. Do you know that there are people in your sphere of influence today that weren't even alive 20 years ago? That's true. That's true. There are people here today. Then there's the opposition. Got to love this one. Opposition. May not have made that one up there. There it is. Why do you eat with sinners? Why do you eat with sinners? Look at you. You're supposed to be a Christian. What are you doing hanging out with those people? Well, organized and traditional religion, they really don't understand. Although some could make the case that organized religion has become, for many areas, sinful in itself because of their acceptance of worldly values. But even those that hold on to Christian tradition, as was the case here, they held on to religious tradition. I don't want to say Christian tradition. They held on to religious tradition. Why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? Some may have the concept that ministry is only going to happen in the church. We just need to only associate with Christians and live in this great big utopia, sit around in a circle, join hands and sing Kumbaya and do something great, you know, just, just oh, we're all going to be together and we're just all going to fellowship and we're Christians and you're not. Nah, 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 nah. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There are some people that won't come to church. How can we be salt and light if we're only dumping the salt shaker in here? How can we be light when we're like, oh, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian, but I'm here, I'm okay. I'm okay for everybody to know I'm a Christian, but out there it's kind of scary to talk about. Jesus says, follow me. We do need Christian fellowship with each other. We need relationships with folks who don't know Jesus. We need relationships with sinners. With eternity in mind so that we can be the godly influence that they might not otherwise have. We need to be that salt and light. It's all about the relationship. Now, when I was in Bible school, they... they uh, told me, which I believe there was some statistics I think they gave, but they said, you know, as many pastors might like to think that their preaching is so good, people just come and hear them, that people don't come typically to a church just because a pastor is there. They don't come to hear the pastor. Most of the time. There are some exceptions to that. They don't come because this particular pastor is there. Most of the time, they come because they've got a relationship with someone else who's at that church. Because it's about the relationship. It's always been about the relationship. Then there's the proclamation. Jesus said this. The sick need a doctor. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but called sinners to repentance. He said, it's the sick people that need a doctor. Can you imagine 
Make it a doctor's appointment. I want to come in and see the doctor. Well, what's wrong? Absolutely nothing. Well, what, what do you want to see the doctor for? Oh, I just want to see. They'd probably say, show up next week on Tuesday at 3 o'clock or whatever. Because, see, they get paid when you do that. I'm just kidding. Um, but, no, I mean, it's, it's like most of us think about going to the doctor when something's not going right. Now, I agree you should go to the doctor for checkups and stuff like that just to make sure everything is right because there could be things you don't know. But, by and large, we think about doctors when something's not right. And Jesus said, hey, the righteous people, those who are well spiritually, they don't need a doctor. But the sick need a doctor. And he says in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. But this goes right into Jesus' mission. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying, I want you to realize why you're following me. Because there is a mission that God the Father has sent me to do. And he's still on this mission today. And I want to read a few verses that talk about Jesus' mission. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Meaning that all of those things that were written in the Old Testament and all of those things that, that you had to follow and live by, I have come so that those things could be fulfilled in me coming as a Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? It means I'm paying the price so that you can be free. I'm giving up of myself so that you don't have to pay the price. I'm paying the ransom. In Luke 19 and 10, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The lost. Have you ever gotten lost? Absolutely. How many have ever had the GPS to get you lost? Uh, it's like, you know, we think that, oh, you know, I think that there are a lot more directionally challenged people today and, and I, I'm more directionally challenged than Annette. Annette is great. I mean, she can be there once and she never has to, she can tell you how to get back there even if she's been there once. But sometimes, you know, we get so reliant on technology, it's like, I don't know how to get there, but I'll punch it in and it'll get me there. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, when I was going to work this morning, three lanes over, there was a car that went, whoosh, and exited right like that. Because Siri says, exit now. Well, I'm four lanes over. No problem, I can do that. It happens. And it's because either they weren't paying attention or they didn't know where they were going. Because if they knew where they were going, they knew that, well, right up there, I've got to turn. So I better be preparing to turn. 
along the way. Um, there's some people that get lost and they don't know they're lost. You can be lost and not know you're lost. I'm, we had only been to Springfield a few times. And this has been, I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago. I know better than to argue with my wife. <laughs> we had gone to Springfield. I got back on the highway. And she said, we're going the wrong direction. I said, no, we're not. It's <laughs> the wrong thing to say. And then when I saw a sign come up here, I said, you're right. She's like, I knew I was right. <laughs> so I had to, after a few miles, I had to get, get off and then turn around and go back the other way. But I didn't know I was lost. I was just fine, just driving along, and probably eventually I would have realized it. But how many know that there's people in this world that are lost? They're dying and they're going to hell. And they don't know. They don't know that they're lost. Because they've not had the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need the light. Jesus came to seek and to save them. John 3.17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world through him. God sent his son not to condemn the world. He doesn't condemn. But to save the world through him. John 10 and 10. Jesus goes on to say this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they, might have, that they may have life and have it to the full. Or the King James says more abundantly. More abundant life. That you can have. Because that is why he come. We're talking about his mission. You can have life to the full. People think they're satisfied in their lives and things are just going along great, but they don't really realize the fullness of life that they really truly could have. They're going to have a more full life with Jesus Christ than they ever thought possible. Oh, I don't know if I can be a Christian because all that stuff you got to give up. You don't have to give up anything to be a Christian except surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you have the desire to say, you know, this other stuff really isn't as important anymore. And it's not hard. I mentioned this, I think, on Sunday. We'll never be good enough to say, I'm going to I'm going to make everything right and then I'll come to the Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll come get saved. No, that's not how it works. If we were able to do that, we wouldn't need to come forward. If we could do anything, everything on our own, we wouldn't need to go to the Lord. But we need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. John 12, 47, Jesus said this, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but save the world. And I think it's important here for us to realize the context of this. Uh, what Jesus is saying is that he doesn't say that people won't be judged for not keeping his words. He says that's not the purpose of why he came. His purpose was to come and save the world. There will be a judgment and it will happen. 
But it's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen when he said these words because his primary mission is to save the world. Judgment later, salvation now. John 18, 37. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered. And Jesus said this, you say that I am a king, the fact in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He came into the world to testify the truth. We're talking about Jesus' mission. And from our text in verse 32, Jesus said this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. And I want to deal with that word. The next point is repentance. Repent means to turn from sin and resolve to reform one's life. Notice it's not reform one's life and turn away from sin. It's turn from sin. So you're just not turning from sin, but you are turning toward Jesus. We can't turn from sin without turning toward Jesus because we have a sinful nature. The words of John the Baptist have never been more true, to, true today than when he spoke them in Matthew 3 and 2. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. True repentance really is a complete reformation of our life turning from sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him. Acts 3.19 says this, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In Matthew 18.3, And He said, Truly I tell you, unless you change, He was talking to His disciples, King James says, or be converted and become like little children, you will perhaps enter the kingdom of heaven. No, it doesn't say that. It says you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you change. How many know that most people don't like change? Most people don't like change. They like things that are familiar to them. If you think people like change, then you will notice that when you come to church, and Sunday, when there's a few more folks here, you'll see that most people sit in the same places when they come. <laughs> because they like consistency. They like things that are the same. If you find a way that you drive to a certain place, maybe you, go, you come to church, you go to your favorite restaurant, you go to work, you usually will take the same route all the time unless... The uh, state tree, the construction barrel prevents you from doing so. Um, but we like things that are familiar to us. Change is seldom easy, but it's always necessary. Change is always necessary. If change was never necessary, and if it, just to give you an example, if you if you were in a family that never changed, some of you would have had horse and wagon out in the parking lot tonight. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but that didn't happen. I don't think it happened. I didn't look, but uh, I don't think it happened. Two things are necessary for forgiveness from sin in order to follow Jesus. Repent. And it's from the Greek word metanoio. Means to change our attitude towards sin. To change our attitude towards sin. And the second is to be converted, which is changing your conduct. How many know that if you don't change your attitude towards sin, it's almost impossible to change your conduct. There are some people that are preaching a message that is that is one that says, um, well, I don't think we have to change our conduct because the grace of God is, uh, covers everything I do. There's a difference between faith and presumption. How many know that? There's a difference between faith and presumption. Um, yes, the, the grace of God is sufficient for us. But Jesus said we need to repent. Changing our attitude towards sin. And then keep our attitude towards sin changed. If something was sin 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it's still sin today. Amen. Well, we live in an enlightened society. Enlightenment in the human realm has nothing to do with God and the Word of God. We can really truly only be enlightened spiritually by the Word of God. It is, our, it is the lamp that causes us to be able to see where we're supposed to go. Changing our conduct, which means turning right and about facing from sin. I heard a preacher say one time, God saved us from our sin, not in our sin. He didn't intend for us to stay in sin. Does it mean that we will never sin again? It doesn't mean that at all, but it means that our heart should be to turn away from sin, to strive toward God. There's some people that are out there that say, well, I've just accepted the fact that I'm going to sin because of my sinful nature. You don't have to accept that. You don't have to accept that at all. It is possible to live without sin. Uh, it's not possible to live without sin, without Jesus, without Christ. Um, some people will say, well, you've got to sin a little bit every day. No, you don't have to sin a little bit every day. Your desire should be not to sin. Pastor, how can you be so confident? Now, most people, even Christians, don't live their lives without sin. I think that's probably a safe assumption or a safe thing to say. Most Christians probably don't live their lives where they live and they don't sin. But they don't have to sin. How I many know sin is a choice? Yes. Sin is a choice. Um, Jesus told the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, your sins are forgiven, now go and don't sin anymore. He would have told her to do something that she was incapable of doing. He told her, go and don't sin anymore. So we, we be converted, we change our conduct, we, we make a change in the right direction, and we be in a new walk with God, and we... And we walk with Him, and then we keep walking. 
with God by following Jesus. Jesus is still calling today, follow me, follow me. In Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Follow me, Jesus said. Jesus is calling, follow me. I mean, you know there's a difference between a Christian and a follower of Christ. There's a difference between a Christian and a follower of Christ. I believe that we must be known as followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. We must be known as followers of Jesus. He's calling out, follow me. He wants us to follow him every step of the way. The challenge is, will we do it? Will we follow him? Maybe we're trying to follow him and we get stuck. Well, just like when you're trying to follow somebody in a car and you get stuck, if they're looking, they'll stop and they'll say, and Jesus says the same thing, I'm going to stop. Because I don't want you going back the other direction. Let's figure out what's going on so we can move forward. So we can continue moving in that direction. Jesus said it this way. He said that you take my yoke upon you because my yoke is light and my burden is easy. And he takes the bigger portion of the load. We think that we might not be able to bear it. He takes up the bigger portion because he's bigger than we are. He's bigger. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, because you are the one that we follow. Jesus, you are our future. You have erased the sin of our past and you've given us a purpose so that we can help fulfill your mission of saving the lost. So that we can follow you, so that we can be a witness to others around. I thank you, Father, for it. I praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.